1: with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again! Beat him up.
0: Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes! Warren lets it fly, yes! TJ Warren is not human! Are you not entertained? Stevenson,
1: Jackson the catch, Jackson the basket! Pacers got the steal, outrunning is Brissett, pounced it home. Washington, again. Five of them. Go go Good job. To, to Taylor. Taylor missed it, tips it in.
0: Oh, The, Pac- the Pacers clearly yeah. won this that trade. Was, yeah. The Pacers clearly won this trade. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Healed. Hotter than fist grease. Halliburton going to slam it.
2: This is Tyrese Helburn, just out here in Indiana. Um, I'm super excited to meet you guys and super excited to get started here. Go Pacers! My, oh my, my refresh button has been overused today as the NBA trade deadline was a success. If you're a fan of transactions, I'm telling you, Fachi. today was a great day if you're interested in that stuff. But the Pacers were not done. We knew that there was a potential they could trade Tory Craig, and that is indeed what they did. They tripped him to the Phoenix Suns. For a second-round pick, which will be in 2022, and Jalen Smith, the first-round pick in the 2020 draft, I believe it was. Yes, so it was. Though, tenth overall. Two picks before, recently acquired, Tyrese Halliburton. So, once again, we move off a 31-year-old guy
1: for a 21-year-old guy, Fachi. Just a big move here by the Pacers today. Love the move. This felt like the icing on the cake. Look, we knew the Pacers weren't going to do another, like, Blockbuster type deal, but we talked about hey, who doesn't fit this team moving forward? That's Toy Craig. Toy Craig, look, great guy. The signing didn't work out, not his fault. The Pacers' direction just completely is in the opposite direction of, you know, needing Toy Craig for next year. You send him back to Phoenix, a place he's familiar with. Not only do you just get a second round pick, which to tell you the truth, I would have been fine with, you roll the dice on a guy that just two years ago was taken 10th overall. Now, Jalen Smith is someone that you and I talked about a little bit, felt like he could be had. But I love this move to throw another 21-year-old promising young player into the mix here. It gives the Pacers just enough options that if they want to pursue something in the offseason with Jalen Smith, they can. If they want to move on, that's fine. But this was another way to open up cap room for next year, where the Pacers are going to be about roughly twenty-six million to $27 million available to spend, which is pretty exciting no matter what we do with it.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at what the Pacers did over the last week, here is the young assets they have currently on the roster. If you're looking at a rebuild, they have Isaiah Jackson, who's age 20, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Smith, Dwayne Washington Jr., 21 years old, Terry Taylor, Gogo 22 years old, O'Shea Brissett's 23, Chris Duarte's 24, Miles Turner 25. I'm telling you, and why I didn't even mention this, they have two First round picks in the 2022 draft, as well as the first, a very valuable second from Houston that they acquired in the Karis Levert trade. So you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, close to 10, 11 guys that could be under the age of 25 on next year's roster um, if everybody is retained that's mentioned there. So you're talking about a complete rebuild here, Fachi, And I think that getting a guy like Jalen Smith just adds more fuel to the fire in terms of, hey, we are embracing a young
1: team. I love it because I can get behind this and I feel like everyone else can get behind this. And if you can't, maybe you're just being a hater right now because <laughs> this is a team that is stockpiled with young talent. Even the undrafted guys that you mentioned, the Dwayne Washington juniors, like right over there. I mean, fantastic. Terry Taylor. I mean, those those were great finds by the Pacers and they've had in the past they've done well with developing, you know, guys that might not have been as successful somewhere else. I, yeah. and, and, you know, the Jermaine, Jermaine O'Neal comes to mind. I mean, just, I mean, even Jalen Rose is the most approved player of the year in Indiana. I just feel like right over here, look, my expectations aren't huge for for Jalen Smith, but why not roll the dice on the guy that was picked 10th overall just recently. But Alex, one thing that you also left out, the Pacers have three trade exceptions one mm. of them is 10.5 million, one of them is 7.3 million, and one's about 2.3 which I'm not expecting much out of, but it's just more options over here. And right now the Pacers have a ton of options and this rebuild and gaining the fans trust it's not going to happen overnight, but now we have something exciting brewing here that It's we're not strapped for cash. We don't owe draft picks to anybody. This is these picks, these assets that are all ours. These players can develop together. There is no rush, there's no window to win now. So, the most exciting thing is going to be watching this core gel together and I I, you know I had to go into the office today is the first time going in the office in about a month but the trade deadline was going on I'm not gonna lie I hid I hid because so much stuff was going on I just (laughs) sat there so excited and in a down year for the Pacers to be able to get excited again man it means a lot And I want to tip my hat to the front office.
2: No they did a great job and so just looking at the the week and what went out and what came in so Two second round picks went out along with Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, Tory Craig, Karis Laver, and the big one, DeMonte Sabonis. What came in was a Cleveland 2022 first, a Houston 2022 second, a Phoenix 2022 second, I believe the Utah 27 second state here with us. We also got Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Hill, and then three expiring contracts and Tristan Thompson, Jalen Smith, and Ricky Rubio. If you're giving the Pacers and their front office a grade for how they did in this trade deadline to try to re you know, rebuild, retool this roster. What grade are you giving him, Flatch?
1: Yeah, I'd say, to tell you the truth, if it's not an A, it's at least plus. Um, yeah. Because right now, I don't know. I mean, there's not a bad contract left on this team that you could have traded. Like, you couldn't trade Brogdon. You couldn't. No one's touching McConnell. He's out for the year essentially. Like, at this point, I, I felt like, you know, why not let Miles be the sole center before just moving him? Like, give him a shot there. So, I felt like, man, overall, we have so much flexibility moving forward. I, I'm, I'm going to say a, I'll go in the middle, an A-. minus. Yeah, I'm just going to give him a solid A here, you know, because
2: really the only player that I'm really sad that we lost in this whole entire thing is probably DeMontis Sabonis.
1: Of course, of course.
2: Not, I'm not upset about Lamb, Holiday, Craig, or Levert. You know, I mean, these are guys I was very happily ready to move on from. Two second-round picks, that doesn't really do anything for me, especially – since we got three back. So, you know, getting that Cleveland first was huge. Getting Halliburton's huge. Then getting off all the, the money that we had for next season and, and Craig and Holiday, Savonis and LaVert for expirings and Rubio, Jalen Smith, Tristan Thompson. I mean, that's pretty big stuff right there. So, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I'm also intrigued by what they do moving forward with Malcolm Brogdon and or Buddy Heald if they if they decide to move on from them. They, they just have so much ways that they can go with with the flexibility they have. It's just unreal. So, you know, I'm really excited, Fachi, about the direction of this team and and of course this young core. But I just want to see now that Rick Carlisle's got more players that fit his style, how this team looks differently the rest of the season. I mean I'm not wanting them to win a bunch of games obviously because I want that draft pick, but I still I still want to see exactly how Carlisle goes about continuing to retool and tinker with this roster as he tries to find the right
1: pieces that go together. Completely agree. Because look, I don't want to get like slaughtered out there because you do want to be able to believe in this young core, but yeah, I'm fine. If at this point now they're a tough out, this is where it's okay to be a tough out because there's no expectations. And it's a young team being a tough out with a team that, you know, you're like a million dollars below, you know, paying the tax. That's not where you want to be. So at this point, it's it's all an experiment. It's just like, hey, just, just get a lot of young guys, a lot of playing time, and figure out who's going to be there. Now I feel like it's evident. Over the past week, Carlisle has had his fingerprints all over these decisions and this yeah. Pacers team. And, you know, to be honest, it had to happen. It had to. I mean, I, I don't think you bring in Rick to all of a sudden not let him call some of the shots. So I think that the moves that they made, they were all necessary. And the players that are left are are players that I think you can watch grow into something special. Mm -hmm. So for that, I'm really excited. I just got to say one thing, though. I felt like we haven't put the full respect on Tyrese Halliburton's name yet. And this guy, just to put it in perspective, all-rookie first team just last year. Alex, if you redrafted last year's draft class? There's a chance that he's picked third overall behind LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's special. A home run pick here, a home run trade. So just 21, I mean, wow. I, I've just, I mean, I've started like over the past 24 hours, I've really been diving into Halliburton numbers and everything. And just over the last two months, averaging 16 and a half points, 8.5 assists, shooting 49% from the field and 44% from three. I mean, how do you not get excited about that? So, whew, man, <laughs> and, and here's what I'm going to say. We play Cleveland Tomorrow, on Friday, whenever you're listening to this, Levert versus Halliburton, I mean, whoa, this is going to be fun to watch. Also, one thing I want to say, noticed, and it was the first game, Karis Levert off the bench for Cleveland. Curious to see if that remains because that's where we said he'd be perfect.
2: Yeah, 4 of 11 off the bench last night for 11 points. I think he had two assists and one rebound in 28 minutes, so um, yeah, not not the greatest debut for Karis Avert in the, in the Cavaliers, but Demata Sabonis had, I believe it was 22 points, 14 rebounds, five assists in his win with the Sacramento Kings. Jeremy Lamb stepped up big. He had, I think, was it 14 points, something like that? 14 points, yeah. five rebounds, four assists, something like that, or six and five. I knew it was like something like that. Justin didn't shoot well. I think he was 2 of 11 from the field, Um, only at six points. But that's all off memory from seeing the box score last night. I stayed up and watched it on League Pass. I was just curious to see how they played, and you know what, it, it looked like Sabonis was determined to, uh, you know, to show Sacramento, hey, you know, you might have lost Halliburton, but you got a pretty good player in return. And So, you know, don't don't start counting me out yet because uh, I'm a pretty good player. I'm a two time All Star for a reason. So, definitely like what I saw last night in, in the game that I got to see was Sacramento versus Minnesota. But we will see what happens. Fachi, are you ready to talk about all the other moves that took place today? Oh yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. and We'll bring on Dan Favalli from Bleacher Report. He has an article up right now where he graded every single trade that happened yesterday or today. So on Thursday, so go check that out on Bleacher Report. Dan Favalli, I think there were 16 total trades that he broke down. So definitely worth uh, reading. And I think you'll like what he had to say about the Pacers, but we're going to take a quick break and Dan's going to join us next.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: All right, everybody. Joining us now is the one and only Dan Favali from Bleacher Report. Dan, lots of stuff to break down, but I think we got to start off first with the blockbuster trade that eventually happened. James Harden going to Philadelphia, Ben Simmons going to the Brooklyn Nets. Talk me through
3: this trade and what it means for both franchises. Yeah, I mean, it means a ton for both franchises. I think if you're the Nets, this is not how you want the the trio of Harden, Durant, and Kyrie to go out, but it was very clear based on what he was doing on the court, based on the fact that he wasn't even playing, based on just what was trickling out, and when you have both sides – leaking that much stuff and like that warring information going against one another, there's smoke. And so he was, he would have found a way to get out over the summer. And so to capitalize on his value now where you get Ben Simmons, who is at least a better fit defensively. I don't necessarily love the offensive fit just yet. It might actually be easier if only one or Kyrie or KD are in the lineups at times. You, you got a good haul. Seth Curry is the ultimate superstar compliment. You recoup some of the draft equity that you lost in the hardened trade. They have that distant 2027 pick from Philly now, I believe, that I think can leak into 2028. And it's fairly loosely protected. They did well given the circumstances, but this is just an outright failure by the Nets to me still because they, it feels like they let Kyrie just upend um, their entire championship window, at least with this core specifically. And if I'm Kevin Durant, uh, I'm looking at this and I I don't even know what I'm thinking. I, you have to at least be a little bit uncomfortable that you tied so much of what's left of your prime to Kyrie. Um so and just that lack of self-awareness there. And for Philly, I understand the the risks involved here that people are worried about. You can't afford to care. Um Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate right now. We've seen that he has his own health problems in the past. You are obligated to maximize uh, the next 2 to 3 years and I think getting Harden does that. His next deal, which could pay him 60-plus million when he's in his mid-30s by the end of it, it's not going to look great in all likelihood. But if you get a two to three-year title window out of it and an actual championship during that time, uh, you've done your job. And so the other and final thing I think we need to can't forget here is they did sort of give up a lot. So it's like, oh, we're, we're just paying for the right to pay James Harden a bunch of money Ben Simmons was not playing. That roster spot was empty. That was just this $30-plus 1000000 hole on your roster. And now, all of a sudden, that plus Seth Curry becomes James Harden. That is, that is meaningful. And as bad as Harden has looked at points this season, um, I think we'll probably see a, a little bit of a reinvigorated version of himself in Philly. And even when he wasn't at his best, this is still an all-NBA caliber talent, even if he's not MVP level. So... Um, I think Philly wins the deal overall. What happens when we fast forward a few years down the line? I don't know. I do think overall, if you're the Nets, just the the entire process that brought you to harden and to here, though, that was um that's just an outright failure at this point.
1: Which team would you say was more urgent to make a deal uh, between Philly and Brooklyn? And do you think that this was the best offer from when Ben Simmons started the saga? To now, because at one point during the draft, it seemed like there was a lot that Philly was asking for. In the end, yes, they get a, you know, uh, a superstar at one point, maybe still a superstar. I don't know. But in the end, who do you, do you think basically that who was under more pressure to make this deal?
3: I think it was the Nets, honestly, because James Harden was headed towards free agency if he declined his player option, uh, even if he didn't. There are only a few teams that would have traded for him, knowing that he would either be on the verge of free agency or maybe didn't necessarily want to be there as the first choice. Ben Simmons, not playing, didn't do anything for his trade value, but still has another three full seasons left on his contract. And you know there were other deals out there because he has so much time left on his contract. Even if you had to settle for a package based around picks and prospects that you then had to turn in um, to that star you wanted or just a higher-end player, Uh, you were, I don't want to say you were in the driver's seat, but you had more options than Brooklyn did with Harden. And the other important thing there is that Maury's point has now been proven. If you wait long enough, there are going to be stars that become available. And this James Harden acquisition is on the extreme end of the spectrum, but just think about what we also heard uh, leading up to this is the, you know, before Bradley Beal's wrist injury, like there was weird chatter coming out of there. Um, The Kings were very open to moving De'Aaron Fox at one point. It just didn't seem like um, Philly was interested. So, and then Dame in Portland, like they tore it down and they can say they want to rebuild around Damian Lillard, but he's in his thirties and they have now tethered their rebuild entirely to just a theory because they don't even have like building blocks in place. They have cap flexibility. They've restocked their draft equity a little bit and Maury could have continued to wait. Maybe, yeah, you end up not punting on this season, but saying, yeah, we'll make the playoffs. It'll be cute. It'll be fun. We won't win a title. Uh, you still would have had other options. And I think the nets, as soon as Harden won out, uh, it was Philly or bust for them. And even though he couldn't leave for nothing probably over the summer, just given how finite the, the cap space market is and the teams that actually are super flexible, he would have found a way to get somewhere. And so I think they were smart to at least recognize they needed to make this deal rather than risk submarining his value leading into the summer.
2: Yeah, I know, it's definitely one of those things where it's uh it's it's cool to see that this deal got done so we can quit talking about it. I don't know if you're tired of hearing about it, but I was definitely getting more out hearing about Ben Simmons trade rumors as the whole year has been centered around that, but uh one one trade that really you know made me scratch in my head was, was the Christoph Porzingis to Washington trade for Spencer yeah. Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. Um what what is what is Dallas thinking here? I know some people like it for Dallas, but I just don't understand
3: it. I can I, I want to know why people like it for Dallas. Um, I think you need to to think about like just what what is happening here. I know Kristaps Porzingis' value is not where they would have wanted it to be when they first acquired him a few years ago. Uh, he still has been injury prone. He's not great defensively, but he has been better this season on the defensive end. Uh, and I know he's not shooting the ball as well. His Best outcome, though, is still higher than anyone in this deal. And you also took back the worst contract in the deal. When you look at Davis Bertans, who had basically become irrelevant in Washington this season, he should get more playing time in Dallas. He has more gravity than Kristaps because his shooting is what uh, I call functional. Just like it's not, okay, pick and pop or standstill shooting. Like you can fly that dude around the half court um, and he can knock down those really difficult, really deep contested Looks when he's on, but three years and like I don't, I had the number written down. I remember what it is now, but three years at about 16 to 17 million a pop. Um, that is a lot for a guy who was like the 11th or 12th man in Washington's rotation by the end of this. And then you got Spencer Dinwiddie, who let's just forget that they could have signed him with cap space rather than giving up Chris Stops to take him back now or giving Tim Hardaway Jr. that contract. That I think, you know, even though. Um, he had a great year last year, Tim Hardaway Jr. People kind of understood that was a little bit of an overpay and an outright risk. Now you've given up Chris to get Spencer Dimwitty, who is having one of his worst seasons um, since entering the NBA, since he became just sort of a mainstay in the conversation. Um, Maybe there's a chance that he pans out more in Dallas, but he's not getting to the rim nearly as often as he used to. And if he struggled to play off of Bradley Beal, I know Jason Kidd has been... Um, from what I've seen, more willing to nudge Doncic off the ball, but I also haven't seen enough from Spencer Dinwiddie to think that you nudge Doncic off the ball to give him more control, especially when Jalen Brunson is still there. So, is this born from fear that they might lose Jalen Brunson in free agency? Were they just so dead set on? All right, let's turn Kristaps into two. Two salaries basically, because that's what they did, and that'll somehow make it easier for us if we need to make residual moves to keep Dorian Finney Smith, who they already extended, and then Brunson once he hits free agency. I honestly don't understand the logic, and I think some people have pointed out there's like a clear path to them getting cap space soon. You need to point me to the last time that having cap space actually worked out for the Dallas Mavericks, like they have been bitten by that theory far too many times for it to be the the primary rationale. And so I'm just, even if you're not high on Porzingis, uh, to take back the worst contract in this deal is just, I don't, I don't know, it sort of bends my brain.
1: Oh, absolutely. The last time the Dallas Mavericks had... Know, cap space at all i mean deandre jordan comes to mind i mean this is this they is someone cap space that,
3: this summer and turned it into tim hardaway jr like it, keeping exactly. Tim hardaway jr that's what no. it's, <laughs> it, it just it's it's always the
1: idea of the cap space is so much better than what you actually end up doing with it but speaking of a team that now has cap space our Indiana Pacers look? You gave their, their latest trade involving Toy Craig in a minus over there, which I think is fantastic. They traded Craig for Jalen Smith and a second round pick. Now, that was kind of the icing on the cake. But can you speak about Indiana's moves overall and what an outsider such as yourself thinks of it? Because sometimes Alex and I were too close to it, but the Pacers made a lot of moves. It felt like one deal almost per day.
3: Uh, yeah, I've, well, that was basically what it was at this point for them, right? I mm-hmm. I loved what they did, even though I was from the outside floored that Sabonis was traded. I just thought he was the least likely core player so to get traded. So oh, good, I'm glad I wasn't alone there. Um, <laughs> but I love what they did in the sense that I do think, especially the national, people who cover the league at a national level like myself, there's this tendency to romanticize flexibility, cap space, the unknown, For every team, and these types of situations don't exist in a vacuum. Cap space doesn't mean to New Orleans or Indiana what it means to the Lakers or even the Clippers or even the Bulls. And what Indiana has done here, um, they haven't torn it down fully, but they've also just given themselves so many options. Um, You can, uh, I know I've talked with Alex about this on the side, like you could technically still keep Malcolm Brogdon. He is, you could be concerned about his health, what he's making, his age but he is more plug and play than like this super uh polarizing guy who's going to cannibalize a ton of possessions on the offensive end. The same with Miles Turner. Um you can now extend him more easier because he is the lone big and you move forward with Halliburton, Duarte, flexibility and then this year's first round pick which as of right now you have a good chance of being in the top 5. And so even in a draft that's considered like sort of fairly weak, people are growing increasingly high on the higher lottery guys and the, the Pacers are right there, but you also are in a situation where you can tear it down because you have like sort of a directional, um, I don't want to call them a te- like him a tent pole star, but you have a directional building block in Tyrese Halliburton. I think people undersell him when they think that he's going to be like just a really, really good NBA player or fringe star. Uh, do I think he's going to be the next Chris Paul? No. Am I worried about his passiveness on the offensive end sometimes? Sure. But he is in year two at the age of 21, one of the most efficient off the dribble shooters already in the NBA. He is an understated playmaker. There's a different and varying cadence to his game. And he's someone who's not going to hurt you on the defensive end. You now have, if he's not your entire direction, he can be sort of a co direction with however you view Duarte, but mostly with this year's first round pick. So you just have so many different avenues available if you want to keep tearing it down Sure. If you want to just let this season play out and then continue to try and just, I don't want to say go all in, but be more of the win now team that we've known the Pacers to be, you could do that. You could strive for something in the middle. If you're looking to kind of strike a trade, or if you're looking to um, use your cap space on guys that are going to help you, you could carve out even more cap space. If we really think about it, knowing that there will be teams that want Buddy Heald, there will be teams that want Malcolm Brockton. So I like what they did because they committed to a direction without really committing to a direction. They're not caught in lurch. They've really just opened up so many different avenues um, that are not only worth exploring, but that they're adequately now armed to maximize moving forward. And that's really tough to do to dredge up that many different options almost overnight just because of like they, they made all these moves in the past week.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. And it's one of those things where it's like, you just realize how much flexibility this Pacer team has now, once they were able to kind of shake this roster up. And like you said, there's somewhat of a direction now a lot of young players on here, but some of the older guys like the Healds, like the Tristan Thompson is an expiring like Malcolm Brogdon, they can, you know, easily be moved in the offseason if the Pacers want to continue going this direction. And, uh, you know, and we'll see what they do the rest of the year, because obviously losing games is still probably the ultimate goal as they want to get the best draft pick possible in the 2022 draft. But I want to go back to uh, some other teams around the league, and I want to look at what the Boston Celtics did. Um, They were able to acquire Derek White from San Antonio, which I thought was an interesting trade. And they also bring back another familiar face. It seems to be what Brad Stevens likes to do and Daniel Tice. So can you talk me through those two moves that they made today?
3: Yeah, the um yeah, they did a lot of stuff today. They even like the Bull Bull and PJ Dozier trade. Oh, yeah, they cleared that one two, too. they cleared two roster spots and then they cleared another two roster spots as part of the Daniel Tice trade. Um, I think they have five empty roster spots, which is unheard of in the middle of the season. And it makes me think that they know something about how the buyout market is going to play out in their favor. I think for the most part, I like what they did. Uh, Tyce's contract is not great. He's making a brown non-taxpayer mid-level money. Has two more guaranteed years after this one. Wasn't even playing in Houston. I think they realized like, WTF? Why do we why do we sign this guy when we have Christian Wood and just drafted Alperen uh, Shangoon? But he's someone who helps you as a backup big, or maybe he's a trade chip just because of his medium-sized salary moving forward. Um, also, Robert Williams the third is cheap enough w- in his extension that you can justify paying uh, Tyce if he's going to perform for you. Horford's only on the books for one more year at most. Uh, I'm assuming they guarantee his salary just because it costs so much money to tell him to take his ball and go home. So that was, I, I found that move interesting. I, I just, I can't figure out what necessarily the impetus was other than we don't want Dennis Schroeder on this team. Um, we know Daniel Tice. And after acquiring Derek White, we wanted to just make sure that there was nothing clogging up the pipeline in the backcourt. And the Derek White trade is incredibly interesting because I I think it it makes the Celtics scarier defensively, and it gives them someone else who can be a secondary ball handler. But I wouldn't view Derek White as a primary ball handler or playmaker. Maybe they do, and that's what this is about, or they think they can just extract enough um, half-court playmaking out of him, Marcus Smart, and Jason Tatum. That's going to be something to watch. White is also shooting like 31.4% from three this year. He has shot it better in the past, but the Celtics are kind of light on these knockdown shooters to begin with. Uh, Things could get a little clunky for them in the half court. Josh Richardson was their uh, most efficient perimeter player from three this year. And, uh, you know, the looks Jason Tatum is taking absolutely matter. You still have Jalen Brown and Grant Williams has shot the ball incredibly well this year, that's going to be something to watch. But I I like the value play overall, even if you don't love the fit or can't guarantee the outcome here. I think they are, I I don't know if they'll be better right away, but their ceiling is certainly higher when you look at the playoffs and what they'll be able to do defensively. And I think what they've also done is, you know, you just sort of look at these, they're sort of expensive, but not too expensive contracts. And Derek White, uh, Marcus Smart, you're going to have Al Horford potentially as an expiring salary next year you could do some things on the trade market because you're, you're picked neutral after this season, you're giving San Antonio this year's pick because it will convey it's lottery protected. And then you're picked neutral thereafter. So I liked it overall, even if I don't, I don't know that I have a full vision of how it's going to pan out for the Celtics offensively.
1: You know, I cannot seem to make any sense that, of why the Lakers did not make a move. Do you think it came down to a team that truly didn't really have any options? I mean, the only real thing we heard was that maybe they could make a trade with the Rockets for John Wall. I mean, kind of like a, once again, a Westbrook for Wall swap, but it would have involved a first round pick, that 2027 pick. I don't think the market was really there for Talon Horton Tucker. At the end of the day, why do you think the Lakers did not make a move?
3: Because they they weren't built for it after the, the Westbrook trade, um, they consolidated so many of their best assets into that and um, that one move. And I think people are inclined to blame Westbrook for a lot of what's going on with L.A. this season. That is not unfair, but he is, I've been saying, a symptom of just the larger disease that was this past offseason. Um, they let Alice Caruso walk. That's someone who would have been appealing to people on the on that contract. Uh, you know, you keep Talon Horton Tucker. You decided not to move. I mean, if we just go back further to last year, their decision not to include Talon Horton Tucker in a trade for Kyle Lowry. I mean, my God. And now you looked at their roster. They just didn't have a lot of salary matching potential. Um, They are so limited in what they can send out in picks. And Russell Westbrook makes so much money that it's hard to strike a mid-season deal with most teams because they need like three or four players just to accept his money back. I think even if they were going to make a move, the Russell Westbrook stuff, the end game always sort of made sense to, we have to play this out now into the season. It'll be easier to move him one as an expiring contract two over the off season when teams are more flexible with their, their roster spots. And three, when they have more um, I don't even know what the word to call it. Let's call it optionality with their draft picks. Um, They can now trade two future picks in 2027 and 2029 if they want, and then include two swaps in 2026 and 2028. I don't know if any front office executives are going to be chomping at the bit to acquire a 2026 swap slash 2027 pick as the soonest, most immediate primary assets in a deal. Um, but I do think that it allows them to maybe take some bigger swings over the offseason. They needed an injection of talent. They just there was no feasible way for them to to probably get it short of just overpaying something. You know, could they have given up that 2027 first for Eric Gordon? Maybe. Uh, but what is that? You know, he helps you this season, but you're short circuiting your future for like not even any type of long-term stability. And you have to at least consider that a little bit, regardless of how, win now you are with LeBron. Yeah. And the Lakers are definitely a hot mess right now. Losing to the Blazers.
2: Um, and and uh, The team that's trying to completely rebuild on Wednesday, just kind of tells you where they're at. And Frank Vogel it looks like, you know, it, it feels like it's going to be, you know, counting down the days until he is no longer the head coach there. But I uh, I want to transition a little bit. Not, not not talking about specific trades, but I'm curious. Um, I don't know if you like to rank things or not. I know you like to give grades, so I'm going to have you rank here if you don't mind. Um, rank your top three most impactful trades that happen this deadline.
3: Yeah, um, I think the Harden Simmons one has to be at the at the top of it. Um, and I think even if you were to separate like the sides of every deal, those are probably like the two single biggest impact moves regardless, but the the hardened nets deal for sure. Um, I think this is a bonus Halliburton one just because of how clarifying it is for both organizations, what it means not only about this season, but the seasons to come for for both organizations. And then after that, there's like a few toss ups. Maybe Derek White to Boston. Um, I I might even think Norman Powell to L- probably Norman Powell to LA um slash CJ McCollum the New Orleans just because of what that means for the the Blazers in in that scenario. Um, but if we're looking at just this season, I I think you could easily say the CJ McCollum the New Orleans one. I'll put it three just because now the Pelicans they were kind of always going to fall into the play-in spot. Um, unless the Kings just sort of turn things around. We saw the Spurs are kind of pivoting into their rebuild. Now they have the opportunity to really make the playoffs. None of those other playing opponents are going to. To truly scare them. If they get Zion back and they fix some of their shooting issues with the addition of McCollum, uh, that winds up being in- incredibly impactful this season.
1: Were you shocked to see the top three teams in the East? Well, I, I guess Milwaukee did make a move. They, I believe they got Serge Ibaka, but uh, the Miami Heat, Chicago Bulls. I mean, those are two teams that are right at the top of the East, but did not really make any moves, you know, other than uh, KZ uh, uh, Akpala got flipped for a second round pick. I thought that would have turned into more because of the protections on the first round pick with OKC changed, but was it weird to not see the Heat or the Bulls make anything substantial?
3: For the Bulls, I didn't think it was weird just because of what their season sort of turned into. You have Lonzo and Caruso banged up at this point. Uh, The emergence of Io DeSunmu kind of made it so that you didn't need to rush a trade for Patrick Williams when he's, He's injured. Uh, I think they've said now he's actually going to return this season, so maybe he becomes an immediate part of your core, or you're just able to build up his trade value a little bit to make a, a bigger move over the offseason. It kind of made sense, as urgent as their window is now, uh, that if they couldn't do anything on the margins, maybe get a backup big or pick up another reserve wing, they probably believe they could be players in the buyout market for those that didn't surprise me, the heat for sure as you you point out. I, if you' told me that with Milwaukee or Miami was going to be one of those teams would make a move, I would have picked a real move, not the Casey Alcala move. I would have picked the heat just because why amend the protections on that first round pick now uh, if you're not going to make an aggressive play? They can still obviously do things over the offseason, but I just you know amending that pick is a lot to give up. And I know it created a a roster spot so that they could, um, you know, convert Caleb Martin from a two way to a regular deal. And that in turn will ensure he's eligible for the playoffs. But you could have still gotten rid of Casey Apollo without having to amend the protections on a, on a first round pick where, you know, it was lottery protected beginning in 2023. And it, it would have conveyed, like, if we're just looking at the heat's window right now, they've punted it to 2025. And then it has the chance to be, I think, unprotected in 2026 you've tethered a lot of your core. I know Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo are young, but Jimmy Butler's 32, Kyle Lowry's 35, PJ Tucker's like 80 at this point. So yep. um, yeah, PJ Tucker's played well, but again, he's he's on the older side. So I found it fascinating that they decided to amend the protection uh, protections now just because that wasn't a situation to me at least where OKC wouldn't have been open to to doing that later. All right, so my last question for you here, I'm going to bring it back to
2: the Pacers since this is a Pacers podcast. Uh, It's a two-part question. I want to talk about their their center position. Obviously, the rumblings all all during the season where that Turner was going to be the one that was traded. You even said yourself you were shocked that Sabonis was the one that was moved. So, number one, do you think that Turner is the long-term answer at the center position here, or do you think there is still potential that he could be moved and – how likely do you think it is that Tristan Thompson is actually bought out by the Pacers
3: instead of remaining on this team for the rest of the season? Uh, yeah, I'll start with Tristan Thompson really quick. I think he definitely gets bought out and we were just talking about a team that could probably use him in Chicago. He's to sort of upgrade their backup big situation, excuse me, or, or Denver if they want him um, with miles Turner. I'm kind of done predicting what the Pacers are going to do with him because he seems <laughs> like good is gone for the past, what, three or four years. It feels like it. Uh, it, there was the report that he's excited to be like the primary big on this team now, which is just kind of an hysterical report once you think about it. My guess would be, given how the Pacers have approached these transition periods in the past, that he will be on this team for his next contract. Maybe they move him a little bit earlier into it than you would expect. But he is—he's a defensive superstar who, even though he doesn't want to play this way on offense, is just super plug and play on offense. And the fact that he's only twenty-five. Um, this isn't just saying, oh, we we're keeping Miles Turner because we want an abridged rebuild. Like this is a one-year tank. You're keeping Miles Turner because he can be a part of even a rebuild if you want to go the the nuclear route. So if I have to step on a limb, limb, I'm gonna say he is the center of the future. But the Pacers already shocked me once this year, um, so I'm prepared to be extremely wrong.
1: I would say for my last letter grade, I mean my last question, which I spoiled.
3: I'm gonna need a letter grade on the Pacers' moves overall. What would you give them? I think a a minus. I mean, you can quibble over certain things, like um, they couldn't get like an actual pick uh, in the the Sacramento Kings deal That's when are giving exactly, up Exactly,
1: I completely agree there. That sorry to cut you off.
3: No, you're fine. Um, no, I would agree with you. It's just when you give up the best player in a trade, you are typically getting at least like one actual pick, and they did. I imagine for the Kings that like, getting off of Buddy Healed and his body language on the court was a side benefit for them. And so I think you could argue that uh, they needed a pick there, but Halliburton is just so, yeah, you, he's, it's not just that he's 21. It's the fact that guys like him never become available in year two never. of their contract. And because of the way we all know that restricted free agency or rookie extensions work, like this is just someone they have under their control, probably for at least six years, if not between seven or eight. And, you know, Sabonis was slated for free agency in 2024. I think it was, and he's just like extension eligible this summer. Like you were getting to a point where you either had to reinvest in him or there was sort of the, one of the worst kept secrets was that he wanted to be in California. Um, there's there's real value in getting a player like that in Halliburton because it allows you to not chase, you're not under pressure to chase the, the insta turnaround. You can rebuild this gradually if you want. And I also think, uh, what was understated to all this, where yep, yeah, still give them an A- minus if, if you'd like, but they got so much in the Karras-Levert trade where they set that two first-round pick asking price. And even as someone who's pretty high or at least higher on Levert than the consensus, I didn't think they were going to get it. And they came pretty close just because Houston's second-rounder is going to convey at like 35 or 34 or whatever it will be. And since you got two picks in that trade while also getting off of Levert's next-year salary, it sort of makes not getting a pick in the Halliburton trade while taking on Buddy Heald's salary, just a little bit more palatable and easier to stomach. And it really just makes me think that they did not believe in Sabonis as a, a long-term answer for them, a long-term fit with Kyle Carlisle, or even someone who just wanted to be there long-term. Yeah, I think you're exactly right on that. So guys, if you haven't already, make sure you guys follow
2: Dan on Twitter at Dan Valley that's F-A-V-A-L-E. Uh, great work over at Bleach Report. And of course, he's part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network with the Hardwood Knox Podcast. So if you want to hear all the trade stuff more in depth than what you heard on this segment, you can check out his podcast there. Dan, am I missing anything else? Or is that, uh, is that about a, as good as a plug as I can get you? <laughs>
3: yeah, that's an amazing plug. Thank you guys so much for having me.
2: <laughs> all right, everybody. You heard it there from Dan Favale, giving the Pacers an A or an A- minus, similar to what Fachi and I gave the Pacers for an overall grade on
1: their transactions. Fachi, it's a great time to be a Pacer fan. It really is. And all I can say is we weathered the storm. I mean, it got ugly, but we had those life vests on. And you know what? I, c- I can see it now, the promised land. Now, it's going to take some time. But <laughs> in, in the short term, I'm excited to watch each and every game because we talked about it. Alex, at times, we love this team, but at times it felt like a chore. And now i, I, I you can find joy in a lot of different players. Yeah, I, I hate to
2: say it, but every time I saw Brogdon was about to come back and the, and the liver oh was going to play, God. I was like, ah, can we just watch Keeper Sykes? Like, that's where I was at this season. Like, I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. It's just like I had no interest in watching this boring team lose games in the fourth quarter over and over and over again. So now we have a lot to look forward to, new players to look and, and talk about, and, and just – I think the fan base is just going to be re-energized, not just because we have new players, but because we have a new direction. So we'll be back next week with the mailbag. Of course, we'll be back on Saturday for our Saturday show, but definitely want to let you all get a heads up. The mailbag will be returning um, next week. Obviously, it would have been a lot more difficult to do it had we tried to do that
1: with all the trades that
2: happened early on in the week. So, Fachi, anything else before we get to our rundown?
1: I would just say that that mail, it does not stop. So keep it coming in because we have a lot to talk about.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And like I've said the last couple of episodes, I sincerely mean this. For all of our new listeners to Setting the Pace, thank you so much. We've gotten some more ratings and reviews and it really it, it really just speaks volumes and we really appreciate that. So thank you everybody for tuning in as we've been trying to cover all this craziness that's been going on and hopefully you guys have enjoyed the content with all of our guests and mine and Fachi's thoughts on the on the team and the
1: direction they're heading but with that being said Fachi, where can the people find us out on social media oh all right so you can find us on twitter at setting the pace three you can find Alex on twitter at Alex I can be found on twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I you can find us on instagram at Pacers Talk you can find us on facebook at setting the pace you can find us on tiktok at setting the pace
2: And if you're excited to see Tyrese Halliburton in a Pacers uniform on Friday night against Karis LeVert and the Cleveland Cavaliers, say these three words.
1: Let's go Pacers!
2: We'll see you later, Tristan Thompson.